0: Hi there, it's Matt from Duff Salamander Bait and Tackle again, um, and I'm here to do a quick podcast in relation to catching whiting from our ocean beaches. Those that listen to the podcast about catching broom from the ocean beaches, some of the content's quite similar, so I apologise for being repetitive, um, although we are fishing in the same environment, but there are key fun, key fundamental differences which, uh, which I'll go through. Um, I'll do it in the same structure that I did the Brim uh, podcast. First, we'll talk about the tackle that I use, then the most successful rigs, setups and methods, um, the best times, best places, and best baits, uh, which I found over the years to be quite successful. Um, as with the Brim um, podcast, this isn't any this is not exhaustive content. Um, people will fish in different ways, have different ideas and methods. What I'm going to talk about today is what's worked for me ever since I was uh, fishing on the beach from about 12 years old. Um, I haven't really changed the way I fish too much so um, there's a lot of different technology out there today. Nevertheless I've had tremendous results and I'm happy to share with you what I can and hopefully you can take um, something from that and either um, follow it as I do or then add bits and pieces of my content to what you're currently doing whichever makes you catch more fish it doesn't really matter how you get there um the tackle that i use uh which i discussed in the brim podcast same rods obviously look i use a multi-tapered four wrap 12 foot mid mount snyder blank or rot it's a it's a fully made rod i made them many years ago my rods are one piece and i have a sand spike uh it's um Comboed with a Fluga Salt Six Thousand Series spinning reel, um, and I have uh, around three hundred meters of fifteen-pound Maxima fishing line on it, and that's mono fishing line. Um, the rod rods can be one or two piece these days, so I wouldn't get too wrapped up in that. Uh, the years gone by, uh, the rods were the blank was made in one piece, and it was then cut in two, and then ferrules were added, which you'll see some of the old rods with big metal big metal uh, ferrules, which then the rods uh, joined, the two pieces were then joined together. It was cumbersome, it changed the action of the rod. These days, um, rod blanks are made either two piece or one piece. So it's made um, and designed in that way from the outset. So here and there, if you can find a two piece Snyder, or if you can find any Snyder rod at the moment, because they're not making them anymore, sadly, so um, it will be the way to go. Um, the four wrap is equivalent to a three to six kilo rod in today's terms um, sand spike in my view offers a couple of advantages to the beach fisherman uh, or fisher lady um, firstly allowing for longer casts when needed and necessary you don't often have to use it for that but it does come in handy when you really have to and secondly and more importantly um, it allows you to create a foundation in the sand by sticking the spike in uh, it might only be halfway when you rest the uh, rod against either your vehicle or your bucket or something, uh, where you're going to take a fish off, uh, untangle a rig, um, rebait a hook. Now, anything from a gust of wind to the guy that you've just taken down the beach fishing with you, walking past, to me knocking it over with my foot, to the fish um, bouncing around on the line too much, they can all cause the rod um, to slide off the back of the truck Uh, and fall into the sand. And that's the last thing you want is the reels to go in the sand. They will inadvertently go in the sand. If you're going to continually fish on the beach, you can take all the preventative measures um, imaginable, but (laughs) you'll find it'll uh, have one day it'll go in the sand. Uh, You have to live with that. And that's why I've got a Fluger. Very simple, very uncomplicated. I've had one go in the water, actually. So um, for all my... um, for all my uh, talking about sand spikes and being careful around the truck, uh, I didn't bang a rod holder in one day correctly, and, and it went and it went for a swim. But uh, stripped down, um, re um, uh, put silicon oil on the onto the uh, to the drag system, and uh, we had a look at the bearings and um, fresh watered everything, and it's still as good today as when I had it two years ago. So I must admit, I'm, for my view, for the beach, a robust, no nonsense reel, no fancy. Shimano bait runner with thousands of moving parts because if that goes in the sand, you're forever trying to get it right. And in fact, I don't think you can sometimes. Um, nevertheless, uh, so that's the, that's the setup I use. I don't advocate braided line for the beach. It will work, I know, but uh, the mono has stretch. And when you're f- uh, fighting a fish under load or a stingray or whatever it is that's um, not wanting to come in, when the surge of the surf goes in and out, the stretch of the mono um, and the memory of the mono assists you. Um, so you'll see what I mean if you have a fish under pressure, or if you have the, um, have the gear under pressure. Um, as the surge comes in, your mono comes back and stretches towards you again, and then you take a couple of steps back, and then so on. Braid has no giving in it. Um, anyway, that's a matter for yourself. I did try braid in saying that, uh, um, with the view of it having a thinner diameter and then sweeping less um, when, when, the, when it's running either north or south, that didn't really work so well. And I, well, I found it, it tied an okay knot. Um, it tangled easily in the surf because it's so thin. And it, the drag and the beach didn't seem to make any difference to mono. So I went back to mono, but that's completely a matter for yourself. Um, righto, times and tides. Uh, look... Whiting are in greater numbers, of course, on the ocean beaches, roughly in the summertime, more or less. So any time from about now, more or less, so we're just about to hit November next week, or this week, in a couple of days, through to about the end of March. Um, During the time, they leave the protection of the estuary system, just like the brim do, and travel on their spawning run. Although the peak months for whiting for me would be December to February. December and January, actually. Um, February can be good. Normally a smaller fish in February... Um, especially off Stockton um, or Baruby Beach. Uh, December seems to be the first run of the larger fish, although in saying all this, I've just got some um, images through this afternoon which prompted me to do this podcast from Pete, who was down there today, and it's the 30th of um, October. So he showed me an image of two uh, whiting that were in top condition. They look like they're fully rode up, they're fat, um, and he only got the two of them, but nevertheless they've, they started, especially with those warmer currents. Um, for the most part, the whiting are in uh, uh, are a morning feeder. I mean, by morning, I'm, re- I'm referring to prior to sunrise. So you, you can catch them throughout the course of the day. So the example I gave there with Pete, I, he's gone down on the high tide at lunchtime. It was bright and sunny and 26 degrees today. He got two. Um, I'd then say old scowey that's going to go in the morning is likely to get 10. Um, and by sunrise and by early i mean before the sun rises so i'm fishing at 4 35 o'clock um, i'm home at 7 30. they can bite on into the morning um, often when the sun comes up they'll disappear but if you've got overcast conditions if you've got a lot of white water and the water temperature is right they can bite into the morning you will catch them through the day as i said not as many and you will catch them in the afternoon and into the night, but they don't bite into the night like a like the brim do. Um, it's just something to consider. Water temperature is important with whiting too. Um, brim like cold water, but the whiting really like it warm. So um, I think it's telling me it's about 19 degrees at the moment, uh, 21, 22 and 23, they're all good. They're all good, so it can go up a little bit and get a little bit warmer. Um, and if you can combine the three quarter uh, a three quarter high tide with the rising and the setting of the ton so it's three quarters high and it's still rising Um, early in the morning you, you knocked it on the head then that's probably the peak time although I mean in saying that if the fish are there, the water's warm and the conditions are right. You can fish at dead low tide as the sun comes up too. But for example, if you're at Stockton, if you're in Burrobi end of Stockton Beach, you'd have to travel down a bit further to find a bit of deep water. Anywhere from 10, I mean 8k's it starts to get a little bit deeper, 10k mark where the huts are, that is traditionally the the start of the deeper water and less formation in the beach. And as you go further down to 16 and then 18 which is the pretty much the Lavis Lane put on, um, coming down from this end, and 22 will get you to the wreck. So in that deeper water on low tide. What actually it does, when you're on low tide, it allows you to throw into places that you necessarily wouldn't be able to throw into at high tide. So you can basically go to the edge of a gutter or a hole, um, and then pop it in. I don't advocate fishing in holes in gutters unless it's dead low tide and you really have to. Um, what you'll find is that as the tide rises, so back to the scenario where you've got a, let's say a seven o'clock high tide, 7am high tide, um, you're down there at uh, four 4.30 fishing. Um, for, those, for that hour and a half uh, to two hours, the whiting will come out of those deeper gutters and holes and then move along the intertidal zone along the banks and feed they're looking for worms and pippies that's traditionally what they're there for as i said with a brim they're not there for a swim they're there to feed Um, i've done a blog on reading the beach as well um, which i won't go into vivid detail now with you can simply click on the blogs or um, i've also done a podcast in relation to that as well so uh, it just highlights what a hole is what a gutter is the banks what time and tides are best to fish those areas so have a look at that um, but as i said low tide think you deeper water holes and gutters half to full tide think working the banks a little bit more as the fish come out of that deeper water and move along and feed okay moving on to the rigs um, look i've fundamentally used this rig ever since I started beach fishing. This is a different version, but the style of the rig remains the same. It's a Paternoska style rig, Paternosta style rig, um, which basically means you've got the sinker attached to the bottom and you've got, on this occasion, you've got two individual um, leaders with hooks attached, like a Christmas tree, basically. So the sinker's on the bottom, you've got your two hooks coming off at intervals, so they're separated, of course, um, and then you tie off to your main swivel at the top. I use a, the Paternoster rig we use is the one that made by Old Scoey, who's fished on Beruby Beach ever since I was going to school. Um, he ties a 20 pound fluorocarbon line through the hole, um, or leader rather, through the, to make the whole, entire rig. He uses a number four mustard bait holder hook. Um, And what he does, uh, okay, so when it comes to whiting fishing, traditionally, we firstly think we must use light looter. Well, if you do that under these conditions, all you'll do is get tangled, you'll get knots, um, and it won't be effective. When you're fishing with cover, by that I mean the early hours of the morning, darkness or overcast conditions, as well as whitewash, then the fish aren't as sensitive to um, the need to have light leaders on. If you're fishing in the middle of the day and it's sunny and there's no work on the beach, then I'd suggest you just go to a simple running ball sinker down to a swivel. Then you can have a 10 or 12-pound fluorocarbon leader on. I don't change. I don't think it makes any difference um, in that environment. If we were to talk about the estuary for whiting, that's a much different proposition. Um, nevertheless, he ties the two dropper knots. He attaches a swivel to, then the leader, and then the hook. Now, what that does by separating the um swivel from the main part of the leader those dropper knots allow it to to so basically that swings on around on itself and doesn't twist it's not like having a three-way swivel there in the leader where you'll have <clears throat> the uh the leader going over the top of the swivel and tangling within the swivel itself and twisting. That doesn't do this. So his dropper knots um, sit out from the main leader and then they swing around on themselves. So very, very rarely do we get knots. We do occasionally, of course. I mean that's inevitable, but you can pick, you can pick them up pretty easily and fix them. I mean I've had his two of his rigs on for the, basically the entire brim season, which is bad um, because I do check the leaders a lot, but occasionally I get lazy. That's another tip actually I should give. I didn't uh, note that down, but um, check your rigs. Every time you throw out, every time you cast, like I do with black fishing or any type of fishing, I run my hand up and down that leader from the hook to make sure that that bit's not frayed. If it is, it's only a matter of cutting that little bit of fluorocarbon off and retying it. It's easy and guaranteed without any certainty The day you don't do it and there's a a nick in it or there's a fray in it or it's damaged in some way, it'll be a Jewfish that picks the next bait up for sure. Um, It's happened to me many times. I'm sure it's happened to everybody else out there listening. Um, Yeah, now the other advantage of using the two-hook rig, of course, is when whiting uh, school in numbers, they can be quite prolific and it's often that you'll catch two at once. So I set my rod in a rod holder, (coughs) which I'll discuss in a second. Um, If I see it hooked... I see a whiting hooked on there. You can tell a whiting buck. they wriggle. They don't pull like a brim, they wriggle a little bit, and you'll see the fish is hooked. I leave that there for a second in the rod holder, maybe a couple of minutes. Um, uh, Others don't, they go over and take it in. By doing that, that other bait that's free um, rockets around at 100 miles an hour, and often you'll get two whiting at a time doing it like that. You can't have a bag, the bag limit's 20, I mean, so you can, and they're a tremendous eating fish, though. the method, uh, look, don't don't cast over the fish. So <clears throat> we discussed the intertidal zone before, or I mentioned it rather. Just what that is, is predominantly that's the area on the sand that at most low tides, it's, well, at, at low tide, it's exposed. At lower low tides, it's more exposed, if that makes any sense. Um, at high tide, depends on the size of the tide, it's mostly covered. So... Um, That's where the worms and the pippies and other crustaceans live that the fish are there nuzzling around to feed. So if you've ever seen a whiting, ever noticed a whiting in a tank, which I have because uh, I've seen them in tanks in in Sydney, you'll notice, that and the way the shape of their mouth is, they nuzzle around in that sand and push forward through it, and I'm sure that's how they behave on the beach too. So don't cast over them, basically. If you're using two rods like I do, throw one out a bit further. I'm not throwing more than 50 foot at at the very most. And the next one will be 25 feet, it'll be in closer. Um, that's something to consider. You'll often see, as I've said before, in the holiday time where you've got kids casting off the open beaches and girls maybe that don't cast as far, they will get some fantastic whiting just about at their feet. The whiting don't need not much water. Um, I have seen them up around when we worm. So they'll, they'll, they'll come up in, in shallow areas. Um, I simply put two, I used two PVC rod holders, basically I got it from Bunnings, now it's about a metre and a half of PVC, uh, and I cut it on an angle at the bottom, that's the bottom bit that goes into the sand, and I put at least half a metre into there, and I bang it in with a rubber hammer. Now, <clears throat> I've lost a couple of rods in the water by not doing this properly, or not checking this properly rather, over because many years ago I used to fish a lot into the night time for jewfish and, um, for brim and whatnot. And a big dew or a big eagle ray will grab one, a beachworm in, uh, in a second and then it's gone. So make sure you put your rod holders in, make sure you check your rod holders, move your rod holders back when the tide comes in. Uh, I can't stress that enough. And you do need a long, I like a long rod holder, so I can just go and pick it up directly from the, from the, uh, Sand spike, I mean, for example, old Scurry that fishes down there every day, he has short rod holders, um, and he doesn't like sand spikes, but that's just a personal preference. Um, but just be mindful of that as it comes in. The tide comes in, check those rod holders, because as it comes in, it erodes the sand that's around the base of the, the rod holders. So, um, Talking about baits, look, when it comes to baits and whiting fishing, uh, in my view, there is no comparison to that of a beach worm. The beach worm is naturally found on the beach, hence its name. Um, It's pretty much common sense, really. um, Other worms do work in that environment. For example, a blood worm. Uh, You can take that from the estuary and use it in the environment. Although blood worms, um, they're illegal to dig in New South Wales, or rather the seagrass is where they actually, um, the environment that they live in. And the other way to get blood worms is have them imported from Queensland, which isn't... uh, possible at this stage due to the white spot outbreak as in the farms are in the infected zone and thirdly they're horrendously expensive Um, I love them as a brim bait but I can't get them of course Um, but for whiting I cannot stress enough beach worm is the way to go by far you will get more baits off the beach worm and they're naturally found in the environment that the whiting are actually um, in you can either use the beach worms live or you can preserve them so we method them So basically, methylated, 90% metho and um, 10% salt water, more or less. It's not a perfect science, but you need a fair bit of metho in there. Um, 10 minutes in there. It kills the worm. It preserves the worm. You pull them out, dry them off properly, um, and then into some um, uh, cool dry sand, which helps them hold in the freezer, and then into tubs in the freezer uh they'll last indefinitely they work this year i said it in a brim podcast this year i'm not going to use a live beach worm to catch whiting i'm just going to stick with the metho ones just to i want to do an experiment because i know old scoey will use the live ones um because i got a tremendous amount of brim on the metho worms throughout the course of winter i don't think i used a live well, really i don't think i might have used live worms a couple of times but very very rarely um, so I'm going to try them with the, uh, with the whiting, so I can give you some more input on that after it's done, but I think it makes no difference, quite frankly. Um, when putting the worm onto the hook, thread it on head first. So you break the, So basically, if, let's work with the live worm theory at the moment. You take the worm out of the water that it's in, um, you put it in a little bit of sand to get some grip. Unfortunately for the worm, break his head off, the head's the white bit at the top. Thread it on head first. Now by threading it on head first, that'll ensure that the worm doesn't break up when it goes onto the hook. Not that it matters so much. You can still fish with it like that, although it looks more natural if it's not broken up into many pieces because worms naturally segment. Um, Thread it on all the way up over the eye of the hook and then basically just break it off just above the point of the hook. Um, And that's pretty much um, all it is. I did do an actual podcast. Oh, not a podcast. I've done a blog on our website, salamanderbaitandtackle.com.au, just around uh, putting beachworms on the hook. And there's images on there, so it doesn't really work for this form of media, the image, but uh, you can refer to that and it'll help you out. I've also put on there how to catch beachworms, which you really have to look at. You need a visual aid for that. Um, when you catch the whiting, I mean, uh, they are considered a top class table fish. There is no doubt in my mind, they're one of the two or three best eating fish that we could possibly catch. Uh, I do like John Dory, I don't catch them. Um, and you know what, that's pretty much about it. Uh, we could uh, talk, about. Kobe is a very nice eating fish, but the whiting fillets uh, are up there. Um, in my view, I think, upon capture, I dispatch them immediately. So I kill them straight away, just by simply breaking their neck. Um, look, it's quick. Um, I, I hope it's more humane as opposed to watching them suffocate in a bucket. Uh, then simply, once they're, um, <clears throat> once they're dispatched and you finish your fishing, just scale them, gut and gill them. Then in the fridge for a couple of days, at the very least at the very least one day i'd recommend you could even leave them in there for two what that does is it firms the flesh right up so um when you go to fillet them you can keep all your fingers intact and you waste so much less fish because filleting a freshly caught fish the fish the flesh is really soft um, i've done it many times i'm not going to do it again unless i absolutely have to i then re-wash those fillets in salt water again Dry them off, um, and then I cryvac them and put them in the freezer. But they come out of the freezing process really well. You can't tell the difference. I've given them to a friend of mine, who is an avid fish eater, and he didn't. He did turn his nose up. He didn't say anything when I gave him some frozen cryvac ones, and then after he'd eaten them, he came back and said, "Yep, they're as good as fresh ones." So, I think some fish do uh, go into the freezing process well, and others don't. Whiting's one of the ones that do. So, look, um, I'm excited. Whiting are coming. Um, I hope we have a great year this year. Uh, Enjoy yourselves. The beach is a wonderful place to fish. I hope this has helped. I hope you can get some useful tips out of this. And if not, sorry, I mean, I've just passed on exactly um, everything that I know over the years. So um, there's probably a lot more. I did try and get as much in as I possibly could. Look, if you have any other questions about that, give me a ring, 49820711. Or check out the website, salamanderbaitandtackle.com.au. There's weekly fishing reports on there. Um, there's also um, blogs on there for different things, as I've um, touched on during this podcast. Um, you might see something that interests you. Or just send me an email. All the contact details are on the website. Um, tight lines. Have a great summer. And um, whiting fillets, chips, a glass of sauvignon blanc and a bit of salad. You can't go wrong. Bye for now.